We saw at the end of chapter 45 last week where Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. You guys remember uh, his brothers had 20 years previously sold Joseph into slavery. Uh, As Joseph's in slavery, God gives him this uh, supernatural ability to interpret dreams that tell the future. He interprets dreams about what's going to happen in Egypt and all the surrounding countries around them. There's going to be a famine and even wisdom about how to prepare for that famine. And in getting that interpretation and that wisdom, the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, exalts Joseph to a position second only to himself and uses him to save all the nation of Egypt as well as the, the peoples around them that would come to Egypt for grain. And so, of course, Joseph's brothers were in another place. They were in Canaan. They were, came to Egypt to get food and through a process of circumstances, eventually, Joseph reveals himself to be their brother, Joseph, the one they thought was dead, the one they had sold into slavery 20 years previous. And so we ended chapter 45 with um, Joseph convincing his brothers to go back to Canaan, get their father Jacob, all their relatives, all their possessions, and come back to Egypt and dwell in Egypt where the famine won't wipe them out. Where, where their livestock and their, and their goods will be safe, where their, their family will be safe and to be able to survive through uh, that whole time of famine. And so what happens is the brothers go back at the very end of chapter 45 and they try to convince their father Jacob to come back. And at first Jacob's kind of dumbfounded. He can't believe, he's in shock. He can't believe that his son Joseph is actually alive and is the ruler of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And so he, though, when he's finally convinced by what he hears them say that Joseph said and what he sees was sent with the brothers back to Canaan, he agrees to go back with them. And that's what we're going to see today. When Jacob and his family go back with the brothers, Joseph's brothers, go to Egypt to stay. Now we know from the history, we know what's going to happen in the rest of Genesis, we know from the book of Exodus that when the people of Israel, when the sons of Israel and their families went to Egypt and they stayed there for 430 years, they dwelled there for 430 years. This is just the beginning of that. We also know when we look at all of Scripture together that Egypt is often a type of this world. It's a type of living, you might say, under the sun, living in the, on this earth. Now, The Bible says that for those of us that are Jesus followers, those of us that are Christians, the Bible says that we are not of this world. In other words, this world isn't our home. This world isn't where we belong. This world is not the place that we're going to to be forever, that we're our places with God. And until the Lord returns, this isn't really our home, that we're just kind of passing through. And we're not to be of this world. In other words, what characterizes this world system and what happens in this world is not to characterize us as Jesus followers. We're supposed to be different. And so you might have heard the phrase that we are called to be in this world, but not of this world. We're called to interact with the people in this world, but to do so in a distinct way, a separate way. And so we, we talk about that a lot as Christians. Okay, how do we be in this world? How can we follow Jesus in a, in a world that is contrary to Jesus, that doesn't necessarily want or recognize Him as Savior and Lord? How do we live our lives now? How, do we, how can we be in this world and yet not of this world? 
And so what we see here in chapter 46 and the first part of chapter 47 is a great picture of that. Because as the covenant people of God, the people that were chosen by God to bring the good message of God's blessing to the earth, to the whole world, when those people go into Egypt, they actually have to figure out how are we going to live here. (laughs) And so as God is setting them up to live in Egypt, we get a picture of how we're to live our lives now as Jesus followers. So I'm going to give you four main things if you're taking notes, but let's pick it up in chapter 46 in verse 1. It says, so Israel took his journey with all that he had. That's Israel being Jacob. He has two names. He's being called Israel here. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us as we've gone through Genesis, Beersheba was a place where uh, where Isaac, I'm sorry, where uh, Israel's father Isaac had gone, where his grandfather Abraham had gone to worship, a place where they had stopped and they'd made sacrifices as an offering to God. Now, it's interesting because it says here specifically that uh, Israel offers not just a sacrifice, but sacrifices, plural. Now, we know that later on in the book of, like, say, Leviticus, that God gave specific sort of instructions about how sacrifices were to be made. He codified what they're supposed to look like. But this is before that time, but even before that time, there was an idea of why you would make a sacrifice to God. Why would you take an animal, slay it, uh, and offer that to God? Well, part of it was this idea of covering up sin. That was the original idea that our sin had to be dealt with, and rather than us be punished in a sense, this animal was absorbing our punishment for us. So it was to deal with our sin. Another reason they would offer sacrifices was an act of surrender. They would later on codify this as a burnt offering where they'd take an animal and they'd slay it and they'd burn it completely. There was no part of it that they would eat or give away. They would burn it up completely. And that was a sign of, God, my whole life is yours. It was a sign of surrender. Another reason they'd they'd do a sacrifice was uh, they'd offer a sacrifice just to say, God, I love you. You know, thanks, thank you, praise be to you. You've given everything to me. I want to just sacrifice something just to say thank you. Now, I bring this up because we don't know exactly what the sacrifices were that, that, or the motives behind the sacrifices that Jacob was offering here, but it's interesting that what he's doing, he's definitely wanting to worship, and it says specifically, he's wanting to worship the God of his father Isaac. In other words, he's wanting to worship God, not just as he understands, but God as he's revealed himself to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, the God who made covenant. Now, it says once he does this in verse 2, it says, then God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and Israel said, here I am. And so he said, I am the God, the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Now you get this, this picture of, of here, Jacob, he's heard his son Joseph alive. Remember, he hasn't seen his son in 20 years, he thought his son was dead. Remember, Joseph was his favorite son as well. And so he hears this news, he's excited about it, but there seems to be a hesitancy as he goes out of Canaan into Egypt. 
And that hesitancy, I'm sure, was connected to the fact that God had said, this land, this land of Canaan, is going to be your land. I'm giving it to you and your descendants after you. He had said that to Abraham, and that passed down to Isaac and now to, to Jacob. And so he's thinking, okay, we're supposed to dwell on this land. Are, is this really God for us to go and actually be here in Egypt? Is this really His will for us? So you get this idea that he's wanting to make sure that, that, that he's in the right place, that he's doing what God would have him do. And it's interesting because when he makes the sacrifice, when he takes the time to worship, what ends up happening is God speaks to him, and as God speaks to him, God gives him these great assurances. God says to him, listen, <clears throat> don't be afraid to go down to Egypt because I will make you a great nation there. And that idea of a great nation, of a, of a, a people group that are, are, are multiple and, and influential, that's the exact promise that he had made to Abraham. That's part of the covenants that God had made with these people. And so basically God's saying to him, listen, you need to know <coughs> that my covenant with you is not going to be hindered by you being in Egypt. It still applies. It's still, that promise is still there. In fact, as you're in Egypt, I'm going to bring about that promise. But he also says, listen, he says, not only that, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go down there with you, and when it's time for you to leave, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to leave there with you. I'm going to be with you through the whole process. And he also says, listen, he also says, and Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. You guys ever seen the movies, you know, like it used to be in the old days, people died and they would, uh, in the movies, right? And they, they kind of led, you know, led there neatly. But now it's like blood and gore and their eyes are wide open. And then they, someone puts their hands on their eyes and they cover their eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that? It's gross, but it's also more realistic. Because when a person dies, their eyes are actually open and somebody usually has to physically close their eyes, usually, when they die. So, but the idea here is that he's saying to, to Jacob, Jacob, this son who you long to be re, you know, reunited with, this son's going to be there when you die a peaceful death and he's going to be the one that actually touches you and closes your eyes for you which is a great honor. It was a great honor to be the person that was there when a loved one or, a, or, or a, an honored one died. It was an honor to be the one that closed their eyes. So he's promising that, yes, you're going to be reunited. It's going to happen. Now, we're going to see in the text, Jacob's 130 years old, so he might have been thinking, I'm not going to make it all the way down to Egypt. And God's given him this great assurance, no, I'm going to be with you the whole time you're in Egypt. You're going you're gonna to die a peaceful death. Joseph's going to be there with you. And the covenant that I made with your grandfather and your father and with you and with all your descendants after you, that covenant's not going to be hindered by you being in Egypt. And this brings us to the very first point of how do we live in the world but not be of the world? And it's this, listen, it's we take time to worship. We take time to worship. In Jacob stopping and doing this, stopping and worshiping God through these sacrifices, he's not earning anything from God. God's not saying, oh, you stopped and you offered sacrifices. Well, you know what? Because of that, I'm going to give you this, this, and this, and this. No. He's taking time to seek the God who had already made a covenant with him. He's taking time to worship the God who he knows is over all things, over all creation, over all kings and, and leaders and rulers in this world and beyond. He is Lord, and he is worthy to be worshipped. And in stopping to worship him, you know what happens? He gets greatly assured. He gets this great assurance that God's actually with him and is going to help him. 
One of the reasons, and I've seen this happen so often, so often people will come and they'll, they'll, they'll talk with me and they'll say, I'm really struggling with my faith, I'm doubting, I'm wrestling, I'm not sure where I'm at with God. And I'll listen to them and hear about the circumstances that are trying them. And, and often as we talk about things and you begin to ask them, you know, you know well, what do you feel like God's saying to you when you read His Word? Oh, oh, oh I haven't really been reading the Bible. What do you feel? Well, okay. What do you feel like? Well, God's. Do you feel like you're you're getting a peace as you're praying to God? Well, I tried to pray, but it was hard, so I just I kind of gave up. I haven't seen you at home group or with hanging out at men's or ladies or, or at church on Sunday. Are you, you've been sick? Are you been really busy? So it was at work. No, I just haven't been one, wanting to be around Christians. Oh, so you don't want to be around Christians. You don't want to read your. You don't want to read God's promises to you, and you don't want to talk to the God who saved you, and you wonder why you're doubting. Imagine if you came to me, you married people, you came to me and you said, you know, I just don't think I'm in love with my wife. Well, tell me what's going on. Do you guys fight a lot? No, no, I, don't, I actually don't stay at home very often. I just, I work all the time. And then when I do come home, I sleep on the couch. And I just think, you know, what's the point? So, so did you guys start fighting that happened? No, I just kind of, you get in the habit, you know, and I just don't feel like we're in love anymore. You don't spend any time with her. You don't communicate with her. And you wonder why you're not in love with your wife anymore. Do you see where I'm going with this? Any relationship means that we need to recognize who we're relating to and we actually invest time in the relationship. We wonder, gosh, I just don't feel close to God. I do believe in Jesus, but I don't feel close to Jesus. Do you spend any time with Him? Seriously. I'm not saying this to condemn you at all. I'm saying, listen, this is why we struggle so much. This is why we struggle. We struggle because we want to think we're stronger than we are. I can do this on my own. And then when we can't do it on our own, we say, gosh, how come God isn't helping me? Well, you thought you could do it on your own. I get up at 4.30 on Sunday mornings. And people go, wow, why do you get up at 4.30 on Sunday mornings? And I think, you must be so disciplined and spiritual. No, I get up on Sunday mornings because I'm a carnal dog. And if I don't get up at 4.30 on a Sunday morning... My mind wanders, I, I complain to myself, I think, oh, it's going to be hard, it's going to be a long day on a Sunday, and my attitude stinks. And so you know what I need to do? I need to take time to worship and say, God, here I am, and here's my sin, and thank you that Jesus was the sacrifice for my sin, and here I am, and I need to just surrender afresh to you, because to be honest, I don't feel like being a pastor today, which is most Sundays, if I'm being honest, and I just think, I, I just don't want to do this, Lord, so I'm coming to you, because if I don't come to you, I'm not going to make it today, and if I don't make it today, it's going to mess up your people. See, I don't do that because I'm so spiritual. I do that because I'm so unspiritual, and I need the Spirit of God to strengthen me through the Word of God, through the presence of God, so I can meet with the people of God. Saturday, we got together uh, for our, our uh, men's uh, fellowship. We do it every second Saturday of the month. And it was just an awesome time of fellowship. Stephen uh, Pointing, he's one of our interns. He's, he and his wife, Katie, are doing our youth. Uh, he, he brought a message. It was, a, it was a really good word. And we had a great time of just singing together. I, I don't know about any of the rest of you guys and the rest of you men here, but there's something pretty special when men worship together. It's pretty awesome. And it was just a great, great time together. And as it was, we were sitting there, and we also had a fret before, which is a blessing from God as well. Bacon is always from God, I think. 
You can, you can, you can look it up in Acts chapter 10. It's, it's, it's kosher. Anyway, the, the reality is this, okay? We got together for a great time of fellowship, and as I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, this is so good for me, Lord. Taking the time to worship with my brothers so helps me. Thank you, Lord, that you tell me not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Take time to worship. Amen. <laughs> That's interesting, too, because, you know, we forget that when we, we forget, we know, okay, God, part of worship is seeking after God, pursuing God. We, we know that, but we know what we forget? We forget that God is seeking after us. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is, notice, seeking such to worship him. I really need to seek God. Do you know why you want to seek God? Because God's seeking you. He's pursuing you. This morning when I got up, and I was in a, I was in a right bad attitude this morning. I was really tired last night for some reason. Went to bed like at nine o'clock, so I got like eight hours of sleep almost, and so I thought I should be fine. I woke up this morning. I was just grumpy, just grumpy. I was drinking my coffee in the dark of the lounge by myself. <laughs> and I, I read some, some of the, I read pro, the Proverbs, I'm a chapter in Proverbs today, and I read that and got, got challenged and was kind of encouraged, had another cup of coffee, and sort of sat there, read a Christian book for a little bit, sort of sat there for a bit more time, and finally I got on my knees and I began to pray. And I was just sort of struggling back and forth to pray. I was like, ah, Lord, help me. And God just reminded me again, as I was wrestling, trying to, to really communicate with God, God reminded me again, John, do you realize why you're even doing this right now? You're doing this because I want to meet with you. Because I'm drawing you. Because I'm seeking you. And man, what a release. What a just like, oh, thank you, Lord, that you pursue me. You don't wait till I get it all sorted perfectly. You continue to pursue my heart and my any longing that I have, the smallest that it is, any small, even small longing I have to seek God is God's work in me. And he calls me to respond to that and seek him. Take time to worship. The Bible says in, in the book of James, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, I need my hands cleansed. I need my heart purified. How am I going to do that? Draw near to God. Christianity is not about you doing religious works. It's about you having a relationship with your creator and redeemer. That's what it is. This is what he desires for us. And we're never going to be able to be in this world and still not be of it unless we take time to worship. Verse 5. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried the, their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So he took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So here we have the entire 
sort of family, the whole family going together to Egypt, right? The whole family traveling together. Now, what's, what's this a great picture of is this is a great picture of, of what we are on now. We are, as Jesus followers, one family. The Bible says there's, there's, that we are one body. And I don't mean just mean as us as in servant church. I mean everyone who's been born by God's Spirit into God's family, who's put their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection all throughout the whole world, we're one family. And being that one family, there's a reality that we are moving to this one place. And as we're moving to this one place, we do need to try to move together. Now, I think that has a local expression. In other words, we need to focus on how we move together as servants' church. But still, there's this reality that we are moving together, and, and it's important that we see that because the interesting thing is here, because there were older people and younger people and probably some infirmed people and lots of, lots of, uh, of cattle and, and, and goods that need to, be, to need to be moved, the reality is there was um, different degrees, differing degrees of difficulty in the journey. You know, see, so some people, they're just kicking back on the cart. Hey, this is kind of nice, crossing across the desert, laying down on this cart. Others were actually helping the animals pull the carts. Others were kind of walking with the little ones or taking turns putting the little ones on the carts. Others walked the whole way. So there's different degrees of difficulty, but they were all traveling together, going to the same place. Different degrees of work, different degrees of effort and responsibility, but traveling together, going to the, wrong, the, the same place. Now, this brings us to the second thing. The first thing is take time to worship, but the second thing, if we're going to be in the world but not of the world, listen, is to recognize who our family is. We've got to recognize who our family is because we're traveling with them, and we want to help each other do this. Christianity is not meant to be lived as, we're not meant to live our Christian life as individuals. We are individuals, we'll talk about that in a minute, but we're meant to live it corporately. In fact, what happens in verse 8, it says, now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. And then it lists all these people. Now, I'm not going to read the names because I'm going to save myself the embarrassment and you the pain, okay? So I'm not going to read the names. But just know this, there's, there's some things about this list that are important. They remind us of some things, okay? First of all, this is a list of the covenant people of God. This is, the, this is who they are. This is the, a list of them by name. And it's, it's listed as this group, okay? They're eventually at the end, they're numbered as one group. It's listed as this group. And being that it's listed as a group, it reminds us that God does indeed work in us corporately. Look, look what the Bible says in, one, in 2 Peter chapter, actually it should be 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 verse 5. Listen. The Bible says, you also as living stones, plural, are being built up into a spiritual house, singular, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is doing this work. In this metaphor that Peter's using, God's taking us like stones, like a house that we built out of stones, and he's kind of chipping off the edge and putting us right where he wants us to be in the house. But the purpose is, He's not making out of each stone a house. He's, he's shaping each stone and putting it next to people, next to other stones in the house to make a singular house. He is building something corporately. He's working in us in a group. And we need to remember that. 
Recognize this is why. Listen, this is why we shouldn't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It's not just that we benefit as individuals when we take time to worship corporately, but guess what? Other people benefit when we worship corporately. Everyone else does. Now, have you ever come to church and think, you know, what's the point of me being here? I could just listen to this at home and I'd be okay. You ever felt that way? I felt that way. No one's felt that way? Come on. Don't lie. And we get this mindset of, oh, I've got to do something. So I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get involved in something official. I'll sign up to be on the worship team, to do kids, to do ushers, to do setup, to do whatever it is. Now, we need that. We need more of that, by the way. We need more people for Sunday school and ushers and everything else. So if you're interested, please sign up. We need more of that. But listen, if you're thinking, oh, I need to do something official, and then I can tick off the box that I've now been helpful, it doesn't work that way. We have these one another commands. A few of you are listed here with misspellings, I know, but still they're listed there. Because, listen, because God commands us to be with one another so that we can help one another. We can be involved in discipling of one another. This is what He's calling us to. There's a, there's a corporate work here. This is one of the things we're reminded of when we see this list of people. But also, listen, He doesn't just list people and say, here's this group of people, 70 people. But what He says is, He names them each specifically. He gives us each their specific names, which is interesting. It's interesting because it reminds us, listen, that each of us is accountable to God as individuals. Each one of us. So we have a responsibility to each other to help each other grow, but listen, we have an accountability directly to God. It's God that we're ultimately going to give account to. This is why the Bible says this, listen, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take it serious. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In other words, recognize that it's God working in you, otherwise you wouldn't have this desire to to work out your salvation. He didn't say work for your salvation. He didn't say work up your salvation, look, try to feel it. He says work it out, utilize it, use this, this privilege of being in a right relationship with God. Live in the reality of a right relationship with God, if indeed you have a right relationship with God, if you've put your faith in Jesus. That's what it means to work out. And this is a serious business. Because if, 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 if God is working in us and we are resisting that work, we don't get to heaven and go, yeah, but the church wasn't very good. That guy talked forever. And sometimes the band, sometimes they were okay, but sometimes it was too loud. Sometimes they sang songs they didn't like. And the children's ministry, chaos. No, God's not going to say, what did you do with servants' church? He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? How did you respond to the work of my spirit when I was saying, come to me, trust me? That's what we're talking about, working out your salvation. Are you responding to what God's doing in you? The fact that each one is named individually reminds us of that truth. Each one of us is going to be accountable to God. We can't, blame, we can't blame our pastors. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our spouses. We can't blame our children. We can only blame ourselves. But also, there's one more thing. He gives all these specific numbers. He, he seems to be categorizing here according to the wives of Jacob. Jacob had four wives. 
And he's, he's categorizing, you know, there's 33 from this wife and 16 and 14 from the others and so on and so forth. And at the end, he gives a specific number that all the persons of the house of Jacob who went into Egypt were 70. Now, you may or may not know this, but this, there's problems with this number 70, and I won't bore you with the details because there's answers why there's problems with this number compared to other numbers, okay? But it's one of, those, that's one of the questions you can figure out and ask me on Sunday night, but not today. So, but the, here's the thing that it shows us, okay? Listen, this 70 people, I want you to think about this. God had made a promise to Abraham. This, is, this would have been Israel's great-grandfather, grandfather, I'm sorry, his grandfather. He made a promise to Abraham who was an older man and his wife was older and who they didn't have any children. He made a promise that from you, from your loins, you're going to bring a great nation. So he made a promise to two people, from you is going to be this great nation, innumerable, blessing the whole world. Well, 215 years had passed from the time that God made that promise to Abraham till this time that we're reading now, and it went from zero to 70 people. Now, think about that for a second. 215 years to grow God's people from two to 70. Now, modern church growth experts would say that's failure. We're doing pretty good if that's the measure. It's not the measure. Interesting, they're in Egypt, right, when this count takes place of 70. And I said earlier they're going to be in Egypt for 430 years. After 430 years, so it's twice the time. You would think twice the time, so that would be 70 times 2, 140. That means it would probably be about 210 people. Is that what they're going to be? After, check this out, after 430 years, they go from two people, listen, they go from, or 70 people, to over 600,000 men plus women and children. Now, here's why I bring this up. I bring this up not because it has anything to do with church growth. It has nothing to do with church growth. I bring this up for this reason. God made a promise that he was going to make them a great nation. That promise came surely but slowly. Sometimes, guys, we know that God has promised us things and we're waiting for those realities to come to pass and we're going, how long, how long, how long? Right now, what are we waiting for? The promise of his return. Lord, how long before you come back? Come back and deal with all the wretchedness that's in the world. Come back and change us permanently and completely. Come back. In fact, we have been waiting for so long now that people begin to complain. Interesting, they began to complain even during the Apostles' Day. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, listen, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, that's the promise of His return, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, the covenant people of God are not just the nation of Israel, but all of us Gentiles who've been grafted in through faith in Jesus. And we number now in the millions. There's millions and millions and millions and millions of people who put their faith in Christ. Millions of people who God has saved by His grace. Millions who are going to stand around the throne and worship God on that great day when we see Him face to face. Millions. That's what I mean by recognizing your family. We feel small. We know the statistics. I share the statistics. We are 
our church and all the other Christian churches together make up less than, listen, 3% of the population of Norwich. We're so small. But God's doing something big. He's doing more than we know. Again, I'm not talking about adding numbers. Please don't interpret this as me saying, oh, we're going to have thousands. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we feel small, but God's doing something bigger that we are a part of. We're a part of something way bigger that God's doing. And when you see Him face to face, you're going to go, wow. Millions. I'm just one of millions that God has saved. Recognize your family. If you're going to make it in this world, you're going to have to know you're going to feel marginalized. We're going to talk about that in a second. You're going to feel like a minority. We're going to talk about it in a second. But you also need to know you're part of this huge thing that God's doing in people. And praise God for that. That's the second thing. Quickly, third thing. Drop down to verse 28. It says, Then Judah sent before him Joseph to point out to him uh, point out before him the way to Goshen. Now we're going to see what's going to happen here is, is that as uh, uh, Jacob sort of leads the way, the family into this place of, of Egypt called Goshen where the Israelites will settle, as he, he leads into this place that Joseph's going to give some specific advice to make sure, listen, to make sure that Israel, the Israelites, are separate, completely separate from the Egyptians, Okay? And this brings us to the third thing, and I want to kind of give you the third point ahead of time just so you know where I'm going with this, okay? The third thing is this, okay? First thing was, take time to worship. Second thing was, recognize your family. Third thing is this, value your separation. Value it. See it as a good thing. Now, he sends him ahead, says in verse 29, so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel and presented him, uh, himself to him and it says, he fell on his neck and he wept a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Now, let's not lose the emotion of the scene. 20 years since you've seen your favorite son and finally you're reunited with him. There's going to be some serious tears. Interesting, it says, when it says he wept for a good while, it could be translated, he wept continually. It could be this idea that they just embraced and wept for hours and then broke apart and talked and embraced and wept again for hours. I mean, it's just this long, ongoing time of rejoicing that they're back together. It's what you'd expect, isn't it? It's the proper response for their unique relationship. Now, just, just kind of use your imagination. Here's Jacob and Joseph embracing for 20 years. Dad, I've missed you. Oh, I've missed you, son. Weeping together, holding each other. And then some Egyptian servant comes up and says, oh, group hug. Would that be awkward? Would that be weird? Yes. You know what would be weird? Because it would be inappropriate. Because what is happening between those guys is unique. They're father and son in a way that no one else is father and son. They're, there's a unique relationship that they have. Now, this is a picture for us about valuing our separation because here's the reality. God expects us to respond to one another, listen, based upon this distinct relationship that we have with Him. That we are to respond to each other in a unique way. There's a separate, unique kind of relationship that we are to have with one another as believers. Check this out. Jesus says, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, notice, as I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't just say, love all the everybody. Now, we are called to love everybody. There's a truth to that, but that's not what he said. He says, look, here's how people are going to know that you are uniquely separated unto me, how you treat one another. That sounds so nice, and it is so hard to do, isn't it? I mean, have you found that? I find it hard. And I don't mean that. I'm not, when I say I find it hard to love you, I don't mean that because you guys are unlovable. You guys treat me really well. I'm not, please don't think that. I, I seriously, I, I mean that. I find it hard to love you because I'm selfish. I've, I have a natural affection for Sarah and my children, but I still find it hard to love them because I'm selfish. I need the grace of God to work in my life so I can love other people. But get this, this is it. The grace of God's been given to me through Jesus. And God's Spirit dwells in me because of Jesus. And because of that, I can trust that He will teach me how to love others. It makes, this is what identifies me as a separated person unto Him. And I value that, and we need to value that. So Joseph and, and Jacob embraced for a long time. And then it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh to say to him, my brothers and those from my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men, of, the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls on you and says, what is your occupation? Then you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers. For this reason, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd, notice, is an abomination to the Egyptians. You see what Joseph's doing? Joseph's saying, I want you to highlight the fact that you're shepherds. I want you to highlight the fact that you're shepherds, that you take care of livestock because the Egyptians can't stand shepherds, and it's going to make them think, yeah, you, you be way over there in Goshen. It will, it will purposely, it's a purposely designed arrangement for you to be separated here. Now, interesting that their separation is based on the Egyptian or a worldly idea that shepherds are an abomination. Jesus came, identified himself as what? The good shepherd. Look what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, what comes with being separated unto Jesus, what it comes being, what comes with being one of God's covenant people is this reality that because they hated the God of the covenant, they're going to hate us who are God's covenant people. And does that mean everybody hates us? No. Not in the sense that everyone's angry or wants to kill us, though there seems to be an increase in that around the world. No, what it means, though, is hate in the sense of I want nothing to do with you is what we experience, at least in small doses, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how when in a friendship, a business relationship, or something like that, you have a friendship, you hear somebody hurting, you reach out to them in concern and care, and they appreciate that, but if you bring up Jesus, they get a little bit uncomfortable and annoyed? Now, part of that is just sort of everyone feels weird about stuff they don't understand. That's part of it. So we don't want to read too much into it. At the same time, there's a reality that because Jesus is an abomination to this world, people are going to look at us the same way if we follow him. Now, we're going to, as we continue studying the book of Acts, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see the, the people who follow Jesus seeing it as an honor to suffer for his sake. 
that when people treat them bad because of Jesus, they go, wow, what an honor that we'd be treated bad because they also hate Jesus. We should never seek to be treated bad. I know some believers who are obnoxious because then they get persecuted and they go, see, look at me, I'm walking the walk. That's bogus. We should never court that. But we should also always expect it. It's part of us being separated unto God is that as we walk with Him, as we love people the way He called us to love people, people aren't going to like us for it. It's part of counting the cost. If you're not a Christian yet and you're here just kind of checking this Jesus stuff out, that is part of counting the cost. Part of counting the cost is you will be marginalized. You will, you will feel that. Then in chapter 47, the first uh, seven verses, follow me quickly. It says, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, uh, their, their flocks, their herds, and all they possess have come to the land, from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among the brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? Just like he said he would. Then, then they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you have any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Now, they hated shepherds, but they needed them. And it's really kind of cool here because what's going on is, is as just as Joseph predicted, as they say, yes, we're shepherds, Pharaoh's going, yeah, let them be over there. Let them shepherd the flocks over there. But, man, if any of these guys are as gifted as you are, Joseph, if any of these guys got the mad skills that you got, let them run my sheep, man. Let them run my livestock. Now, this is important because this is the reality. Joseph was separated because of what God did in him. He was seen as distinct and elevated because of what God did with him. Same thing happened to Daniel in the Old Testament. And you have here now, as the brothers are being brought into Egypt, they're dwelling in the land of Egypt, and they are needing to value their separation that separation, listen, isn't about us thinking, oh, we're better than you, or we're even that different than you. It's a separation that actually lends itself to usefulness. Often what makes us of any value to the world, listen, is because what we do, we do unto the Lord, specifically in work. Do you know how the gospel, you know what God used to get the gospel out, to, to change the Roman Empire, turn the Roman Empire upside down? You know what God used? Slaves. You know how God used slaves? So many of them became Christians, as did some of their masters, that the way they worked and the way their masters treated them blew people's minds. The, the, the masters who, who uh, became Christians became not lording over them, but serving them. And even honoring them. There were times in Rome, guys, listen, where there would be a master over a slave and they would both be believers. And so when they went to church on Saturday night, which is when they probably went to church, uh, when they went to church on Saturday night or Sunday night and they were together, what would happen is you might have the slave who was an elder or a pastor in the church. So he would kind of be under the submission of, of that eldership. And it blew Rome's mind. They thought, these guys love each other. They work well together. How does that work? Listen, 
our being separate, and this is what we need to value, is about God setting us apart, not because we are better, but to demonstrate that His life is better. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Titus. Check it out. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good fidelity or trustworthiness. This is why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. How you work or do your schoolwork or relate to those in authority over you, listen, has the potential to make the gospel, the truth about Jesus, attractive. If you're distinct in that. God calls us not to be just like every other employee. He calls us to be distinct. And we should value that. We should look to God's Spirit to help us do that. Hey, listen, I know some of you guys have bosses or teachers that are horrible. I know that. Yet they're slave drivers or they're harsh or they overlook you for, for promotions. I was talking to a guy recently who was, came to me for advice. He's a new Christian. He's only been a Christian for months. And he was saying, you know, I kind of got overlooked on this promotion and I'm pretty sure it's because I'm a Christian. Because when I was talking to my boss about it, he was basically kept begging on me about being this Christian. Well, you're a Christian. You should be able to handle it. Blah, blah, blah. And he thought, what do I do with that? I said, you glorify God and you work even harder for that man. And you say, God, let the gospel be seen in this. See, God calls us to be separate so that we can be an example, so that we can show people it is good to be under the lordship of Christ. He makes us the kind of people that benefit other people, even our enemies. We're almost done. So that was the third thing. So far we've talked about taking time to worship. We've talked about recognizing your family. We've talked about valuing your, your separation. And lastly, quickly, it's all wrapped up in this one. If we're going to be in the world and not of the world, we need to represent our Savior. We're here to represent Him. Look what happens. Says, then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. Remember, they've all gone, gone straight from Canaan to this area of Egypt called Goshen. So there hadn't been any interaction between Pharaoh and the children of Israel yet. So Joseph brings his father Jacob to meet Pharaoh. And it says this in verse 7, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. It says the same thing. When their conversation's over and he's leaving, it says, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out, went out before Pharaoh, from before Pharaoh. Twice, it says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, don't just think he's like, you know, bless you, my child, and give him some platitude, okay? <laughs> to bless somebody, listen, to bless somebody is to say, I and praying that God gives you His best. I want, I'm asking God to give you His best, that you would be blessed of God. Now, what's interesting about this, this wasn't just something that the covenant people of God did. All sort of people did this in that culture with their gods. May Ra bless you with sunshine, that's what the Egyptians might say, you know. They would all do this, and you would listen. When you bless somebody, it wasn't just a thing to do in kindness. It was also a way to show, I'm superior to you. 
because I am coming from the one of more power and pronouncing that power as a way of being generous to you. The Bible alludes to this. If you want to look it up later, Hebrews chapter 7, 7 talks about uh, it's without, it, it's a sure thing basically that, that um, the greater blesses the lesser. But also listen, it's, it's this idea of saying, look, because my God is the greatest, may he bless you with that understanding. He doesn't do it once, he does it twice. That takes some guts. He's standing before Pharaoh. Now, I don't think at all that Jacob was being trite. I think he was being honest. He was saying, man, I really pray that God blesses you, that you know our God's blessings. Listen, this is why we want to tell people about Jesus, because it's Jesus who is the biggest blessing that God ever gave. Look at Acts chapter 3. Listen to this. Acts chapter 3, verse 26 says this. To you first, God, this is Peter preaching to the Jews. He says, to you first, God has raised up his servant Jesus, sent him, notice, to bless you. And here's the blessing. In turning everyone away, every one of you away from your iniquities. God wants to bless you by saying, you don't have to be a slave to your sin. You can be saved from that. That's the blessing of God. This is us representing, guys. If we're going to represent our Savior, we need to tell people they need to know Him. Again, not in a condescending way, not in a I'm holier than you way. That's not going to give us any credibility. I mean, we work in such a way that adorns the gospel of God, and when people go, man, really appreciate what you do, say, no problem. To be honest, I'm doing this because I really want you to know Jesus. That's my motivation. Okay, you're a weirdo. Yeah, I am a weirdo, but I really want you to know Jesus. Now, if you work like an idiot or you're a lazy person, please don't bring up Jesus. <laughs> Repent first and then do it. Because it's not going to help. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I'm, I want to talk to you because uh, I know so-and-so goes to your church and, you know, they're doing this or that at work. That's, that's really hard to deal with. No, we want to represent our Savior. Look at verse 8. Quickly, it says, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? You know, you can get this. Man, how old are you, dude? And Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of, of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. He's 130 years old. Whoa. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years uh, of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Now, this is something good about representing our Savior, okay? Jacob gets pilgrimage. He gets the fact that this world is not his home, that he's just passing through. He gets that. Now, 130 years, you're doing well if you live 130 years, you know what I'm saying? You're doing really well. I'm thinking if you live 80, you're doing well. I mean, 130 is like a bonus. I mean, that's crazy. No one lives that long anymore. And, and the thing is, though, when he says, hey, the days of my life or the days of my years uh, are few and evil. He's not just talking about the fact that he's going to die soon or he feels a sense he's going to die soon. He's talking about the fact, you know what, no matter how long this life is, it's but a vapor. I mean, I, I'm 46. I would swear I'm only 26. I look in the mirror and I realize I'm not. But, you know, I think 46? When did I, how did I get 46? I have a son that's 22. 22? How did that happen? It just, it went like that. And I know I'm going to blink and it's going to be gone again. Next thing you know, I'm going to be 56 and then 66. And if I live that long, 
76, you know? I mean, it's just, it just goes so fast. It's amazing. And that's what the book of James says. Our life is but a vapor. It's here and it's gone. He had a right idea. Look, this life is so short, man. If you're living just for this life, what a waste. But also he said that this, the days are few and they're evil. What he means by evil, I believe here, is just the fact that he's experienced a lot of evil. And I'd be willing to bet that Jacob would admit he brought a lot of it on himself. But let's be honest. In this life, there's not a whole lot of hope. In fact, the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that if in this life only we have hope, we are among men the most pitiable. Talking about Christians. If we're trying to say, yeah, I want to live the Christian life, I want to do what Jesus would have me do, and I'm hoping that I, I get the reward here and now, people should feel sorry for us. No, he understood pilgrimage. He understood he was just passing through the Bible says of his grandfather Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, by faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. And this is why, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. One of the criticisms towards not just Christianity really, but all religions that believe in an afterlife is, oh, that's just pie in the sky by and by. You're just waiting for something better. Yeah, I hope it's better because this stinks half the time. I, I'm waiting for something better, listen, in the sense that I expect something better. And you know why I expect something better? Not just because I've had a promise, but because what I'm expecting is a resurrection. I'm expecting that when I die and I'm buried or hopefully I'm cremated and scattered on the ocean so my ashes can surf one last time. When that happens to me, okay, you know what I expect to happen? When Jesus comes back, I'm going to be resurrected. You know why I expect to be resurrected? Not because pie in the sky, pie in the eye, because Jesus is resurrected. Historical fact, baby. He's alive, and because he's alive, I'm going to be alive. So I'm looking forward to that city. As nice as Norwich is, I'm looking forward to that city. But also, listen, it says, in verse 11, I'm almost done. It says, And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his, uh, his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. Now, we're talking about representing your Savior. How, how can this possibly point to representing your Savior? Well, Joseph, as we said, is often a type of Jesus, the beloved son. And here he is providing for all God's covenant people. Jesus made this statement. When it was actually one of the first verses I ever memorized. Jesus said, therefore, this is Matthew chapter 6. He said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles, that would be non-believers, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, they happen to be in the best of the land. That's awesome. But we'll find out later on that the last majority of the 430 years they spent in Egypt, they end up being slaves. But you know what they never did? They never really starved to death. God made sure they had what they needed to get through. 
Now, here's why I say this. I say this because as we receive God's provision, as we are content with the things that God gives us, you know what happens? We're glorifying God. Let's be honest, man. Isn't our culture all about getting more? I mean, come on. All of us have been built by the, been bit by the covetousness bug, haven't we? We've been bit by the greedy bug. I mean, let's be honest, you know. I have a closet full of clothes, but I'm always thinking, you know, I've been wearing that shirt for a year. I need to get a new one. I'm 46. I need to try to stay hip. You know, we, we, we think this way, don't we? I need more, better house, better cars, better clothes, better food, more, more, more. And that's what everyone else in the world does. But God calls us to be content. That's why the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. He calls us to learn to say, you know what, Lord? I just want to seek your kingdom. I want to seek your righteousness. I want to just walk with you and let everything else fall in its place. And whatever you give to me, you know, with food and clothing, with these, I'll be content. That's where I want to be. I don't want to overwork to be rich. I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to uh, try to strive to have more. I just want to, I want to be financially responsible and be content with whatever finances you provide. That's where I want to be. That brings glory to God. God calls us, as Jesus followers, he calls us to be in this world, but not of this world. He calls us to be the kind of people that take time to worship him. Yeah, there's a lot of good TV shows that you could watch, and yeah, there's a lot of responsibilities that you need to fulfill, but the one needful thing is to spend time with Jesus. He wants us to be those kind of people. God calls us to recognize our family. We're in this together, guys. God's doing a great work. Let's recognize that we are family, and we're in this together. He calls us to be this way. God calls us to be a separate, a distinct people, and we should value that, that we're committed to love one another, not because one another deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it and because he first loved us. He calls us to represent him. This is what he calls us to do. Are we doing that? How's life in Egypt going for you? Do you long to be of this world? Then you really don't want to follow Jesus. Do you long to follow Jesus, but you feel trapped in this world? Then understand what he's calling you to do. So you're not trapped here. You're here to be a blessing. You're here to bring as many people to heaven with you as possible. That's what this is about. For those of you guys who are not yet Jesus followers, you might be thinking, wow, there's a lot there. That's, uh, you know, what does this mean? And I'm not even sure who Jesus is or what this is about. I confess to you, this kind of message isn't really for people who are kind of just checking things out for the first time. But I challenge you to think about who Jesus is. I, I challenge you to be willing to investigate the Jesus of the Bible and see who he is and the kind of God he is and why we are motivated to say, I want to follow you. I want to take time to worship and do those other things. In fact, I, I encourage you to do it today. Hang out, have another cup of coffee or tea, ask the questions, but stay here and do it today. 
for the rest of us who are Jesus followers. Let's trust God for, to, to give us what we need so that we can be in this world and not, not of it.